It is seven minutes after 11 o'clock, and Dave Rowland is coming on board. Mo Freedom. Uh, the Brentwood businesses that are uh, suing uh, to block a blight designation. I think they're going to just use eminent domain, and they're trying in Brentwood to stop that from happening. Um, we'll find out more about that. Uh, he's also, interestingly, uh, going to uh, talk about this, uh, the court weighing in on the uh, scope of the law used in the January 6th prosecutions. You'll want to hear that uh, because this could upset everything uh, when it comes to the uh, uh, the trial with Trump on, on this insurrection. But before we do that, we get Mike Murphy. And, uh, of course, uh, Mike is on board. Uh, he's got his own uh, radio program Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, and it's... Uh, Columbia Buzz. With two Z's. Yeah. Yes. Uh, as opposed to... Uh, Como Buzz with one Z. With one Z. Just you to, got that? Yeah. yeah, he's got one Z's. <laughs> And uh, that's embarrassing. You're wearing onesies. No, you're not. Uh, well, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad again. to be here. Uh, game changer is the headline. I mean, that is bold print. When when uh, uh, they 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 landed the plane uh, in uh, from St. Louis, the Spirit of St. Louis. Uh, the, the the dispatch didn't use print that big. That is big. That you is know, big. that word is used overused constantly. Uh, I hear I hear it used just. Uh, like inappropriately or it's a it's a hyperbole all the time <laughs> you know we get a new terminal at the airport and it's a game changer you know i don't really know what kind of game it's going to change but in this case uh offering making available uh subsidized basically uh uh child care around the clock uh, available 24 7 to first responders which is a benefit uh, that really could change uh, a very difficult game that they have there with, at the county. All right. So, um, who where, the money is coming from? Okay. So it's it's coming from some tax pool somewhere. It's coming from all over the place. Simply, so they're going to get a grant from the state that comes. Uh, an original four million is going to come out of uh, state ARPA money. That's the American Rescue COVID funds that are still being passed out. So that's uh, important seed money that they're going to get that has to do that's going to go towards the uh, child care. They're getting another uh, uh, six million from. Uh, uh, they applied for six. Let me take that back. They're getting four million in just regular state, whatever you want to call. So that's eight, regular eight million dollars yeah. in taxes. Oh yeah, it's all going to be taxes. Then um, this the uh, county has committed five million of their just general fund money, and they are backing up what is needed to come after that. The sheriff's out looking for other grants and other funding, but at the end of the day, the county will back up the amount of money needed to get to that 19 million. And I think you can round that up to 20. We're talking 20, although they're still calling it 19, the 20 million bucks it's going to take to get the whole thing done. $20 million so that if any first responder, and I assume you're talking to sheriffs only. Is well, that no, we should back this up. So is it the $20 million project? 14 million of it is for this, a state of the art, training facility for police officers two buildings including a hundred yard uh state-of-the-art uh tactical shooting range uh like twenty-five thousand square feet another twenty-five thousand square foot building with a classroom uh defense tactics mat and room uh uh, uh tvs and uh, displays all over for training that's the huge part of it that's 14 million dollars and that's all funded and ready to go 
uh, and they're rolling it all together w- with the funding. That, and that's why I was speaking of in terms of where it's coming from. Then separately from that, but on the exact same campus and right next door to all this, and going to be built roughly at the same time in a second phase, though, is $5 million for a 10,000-square-foot child care facility. They're going to finish, the plan is, is to finish the $5 million, builds that facility, and finishes one level of it, 5,000 square feet. Another level, 5,000 square feet, is left for future development. So all together, that is a $20 million plan, all funded basically with uh, state and county, uh, for the most part, general fund dollars. So it's tax dollars because they don't have any other dollars. Correct. But if they're training, if they're building a center to train law enforcement, that seems to me is a legitimate use for tax dollars. Uh, you want to train these people so that they're better shots, uh, so that they know better how to handle uh, 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 situations that can be uh, uh, tricky, uh, th- that they understand the law, their limits, and all that. That is absolutely a great investment in the protection of people in Boone County. The child care, the daycare thing is nice. I'm not sure that's a tax dollar thing. I understand. That's And that will be debated. It will be discussed. There's not much debate. They're moving forward with it. But certainly it raises some eyebrows because it is uh, new and something that hasn't been done before. Uh, there's, they're only aware of one other place in the country, and it's in California, San Francisco uh, or San Diego, uh, who's actually done this. But what they're saying, so first of all, first responders include not just deputies, but also 911 operators, which are very, very difficult to hire and tend to be gravitating to, to be female and even younger females. They have the demographics across the country, like 70 percent of them are young women uh, and also uh, uh, jail personnel. Those are all considered um, first responders in this context. So they've had a terrible time staffing that 911 center out there. And this is the game t- changer kind of thing that they're talking about where they can provide, plus they work overnights. And it's not just that you can't afford uh, child care. You can't find it even during the days, much less overnight. So they're regarding this as a key component of a benefit uh, to be able to staff up those key services that the county provides. I do know that 911 operators, there's a great deal of churn all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, the pressure is uh, apparently... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, can you imagine having people call you up no. in the midst of being beaten or murdered no. or whatever? It's got to be terrifying. All, all you do is talk to people who are having the worst day of their life, mm-hmm. your whole shift. Yeah. So that's why this is really strange because, uh, or interesting because I would be one for as many years as I can think back, as with many people I talk to, who would say, no, this is not something that government should be doing. And certainly there's somebody in the private sector who could not only do, is more appropriate to do this and probably do it better. However, as we look out there right now, there is nobody doing this. Well, there are no particular prospects for anybody Part of the problem it. is there are all kinds of government regulations. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Driving up the cost of daycare. Making it almost impossible to get into the business. So the next thing you know, it, government has to step up to the plate uh, and do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> we have found the enemy and it's, <laughs> it's the government. But I do think, um, you know, if uh, if it helps... To keep employees and, and eliminate the churn, 
it might be a pretty good, uh, it might even be a, 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 a trade-off I'd be willing to make. Yeah, I think that's how even the sheriff himself would acknowledge that he would could never imagine being in this kind of a business at one time. But uh, we wake up in a world where, in law enforcement in general, you know, he plans to expand this after he gets it up and running. First of all, he tra- plans to train people from all over the state, from a 40-county area around here anyway, to, to be a regional training center that will generate revenue on the training side. On the uh, child care side, he does also plan to open that up to uh, law enforcement agencies, first responders that aren't just county. That means city of Columbia. You know what he could do? He could lease it out, have them pay rent. Doesn't have to be an exorbitant amount of rent. It could be a dollar. Uh, but then... Uh, it maybe gives the uh, 911 uh, f- people uh, a little bit of a raise so that they can afford to... I, think, I just think there are legal workarounds for this. Um, you know, if there's a, a, a single woman out there who doesn't have any children and she's working the job, she's not going to get any benefit from this. So give everybody a raise. Say, here's our, our daycare center. Uh, it's being rented out. It's not costing taxpayers money. You all get this raise. Some of you will use it for daycare. Some of you won't. Uh, and then it uh, it makes more sense to me that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've complicated it, but... No. Uh, I actually ask them. That is a... No, they've certainly considered that. That's not what they're going to do. They're going to draw upon their resources, which, which you know, they have the health department. Um, they have a lot of people that sort of work in that area or, or nearby that area. So, no, they're actually going to hire a director and staff it and run it, run it themselves. So, in the purest sense, that Boone County is is truly jumping into this child care uh, business uh, feet first. Yeah, I don't think they should run it themselves. Uh, Brian, uh, sh- let's. Uh, can you punch up Anthony for me? Find out what he's saying. Anthony, good morning. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. So I actually work in the child care field, and I can tell you that I never heard about any kind of RFP out there. There are a lot of centers that, given the right incentive, would love to be open 24 hours a day uh, in order to provide this care. And I can tell you that they can do it for a hell of a lot less than $5 million. And then they can put that money towards raises, towards other incentives to bring in more law enforcement. And there's the opportunity to even open it up to more individuals that are in the field of first responders, which I would include hospital workers, CNAs. EMTs, all of these people, firefighters, all of these people need overnight child care as well. Why not open up to the public where there's already licensed spaces, they already have directors, they already have teachers, and just don't make the sheriff be involved in hiring a child care director. Let him enforce the law and leave it to professionals in the child care field to raise and educate children and to take care of them over the evenings. That's my opinion. And it's not a bad opinion. Anthony, thank you. Uh, glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Um, that's something that uh, maybe yeah, I should invite uh, Sheriff uh, yeah. Gary on the program and find out. Sure. Keep in mind this. Uh, that's a, such a valid opinion, and that is going to be the discussion. But it isn't the sheriff. The sheriff's running the training facility. The child care facility will be on his property on his campus right next door. But he's not actually running it. County Board of Commissioners are doing that. 
County Board of Commissioners are going to hire a director, going to work with their own health department, and the County Board of Commissioners will be running that child care part of the operation. Oh, then it won't be run efficiently. <laughs> That's just I'm just waste. trying to keep the sheriff out of a mess that yes. he isn't exactly in there. Yeah, yeah. I like Sheriff Kerry. I don't yeah. think we agree on everything, but I, I think he's done a hell of a job. All right, I got to throw you out of here, but if people want to know what else is going on, uh, Sunday mornings, 8 to 10 a.m., yep. uh, Columbia Buzz. Yep, sure thing. All right. Thanks for having we'll me. We'll see you then. All right. Gary Nolan Show and Dave Rowland next on the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 23 minutes after 11 o'clock. Brian, I, th- I think we ought to talk about that tomorrow. Uh, the credit card ba- uh, interest rates. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I was shocked. Yeah, I had no idea. I I pay it off and get it out every yeah. month because uh, I I saw that I haven't even paid any attention. Well, I got the uh, letter just so listeners understand what we're talking about. I got a letter through the mail from one of my credit card companies, and I too keep a zero balance generally on cards. But I made a recent purchase, paid the whole thing off, and I get this statement saying that uh, your terms and conditions have changed and it was 31 percent interest i i about fell over it's like you've got to be kidding me wow How, that's just insane yeah i um i'll use the credit card but i i pay it off every uh, every month i've never heard of that uh high in interest rate ever well speaking of high let's go to high and mighty and when it comes to law that would be dave roland mofreedom.org Dave, welcome. How are you? I'm doing okay, but that's that's a pretty big statement to live up to. I'm not sure if I can live up to being high and mighty. <laughs> well, I don't know. I saw him last Tuesday. He was high as hell. I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he was mighty high. <laughs> uh, but I guess that's different. Uh, all right. No, I'm just kidding. I did not see you, and you were not. Uh, so I want to make sure people know that. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this uh, Brentwood business um, to sue a block a blight designation and i'm thinking i didn't get to read the story but i'm thinking somebody's trying to use eminent domain to steal some property am i right that's exactly what it is and uh, I'm, I'm very excited because this is the institute for justice that filed this lawsuit they are uh the best blight fighters in the business <laughs> blight and, fighters. They, <laughs> <laughs> and and they are working to enforce uh, the law that Missouri passed after Kelo versus New London back in 2005, listeners may recall uh, there was a U.S. Supreme Court decision that said effectively um, if a local government wants to use eminent domain to take private property and give it to a new private owner simply for the cause of so called economic development, the federal constitution is not a barrier to that. Um, so after the Institute for Justice lost that particular Supreme Court fight, and this was right after I came on board as part of the team at IJ, uh, we hired a legislative affairs attorney named Jennifer Ziegler from Missouri. Oh, I to know be- that woman. They Yes, yes, you've met this woman yes. uh, because the fact that IJ hired her led the two of us ultimately to get married. But one of her jobs was to help the state legislatures and local um, legislative bodies nationwide create eminent domain reform to ensure that what happened in New London, Connecticut could not happen there, even if the U.S. Constitution wasn't a barrier. Missouri was one of the states that passed a law that, at least on the surface, 
should have made it more difficult to use eminent domain for economic development. In fact, the statute expressly says you can't use it for economic development, but it kind of left this loophole where if you claim that an area is blighted, then arguably you're not taking the property for economic development. You're taking the property to eliminate blight. That's the idea. And blight means basically whatever the local government wants it to mean. Uh, I put together a presentation shortly after I came to Missouri um, that called defi- that was called Defining Away Property Rights. And basically it said that if a local government defines blight broadly enough, then they can use eminent domain almost anywhere that they want to. Well, Brentwood is putting that to the test. Brentwood has declared blighted um, a region along Manchester Road that recently had more than $100 million worth of funding poured into it. And they, IJ has come along and they've said, well, wait, look, the statute that got passed says not only can you not use uh, eminent domain for economic development, if you are going to impose blight or a, a blight designation, you have to clearly state the parameters that you're using. And with this blight designation in Brentwood, they don't appear to have done that. And so IJ is coming in. They filed this lawsuit earlier this week. Um, and uh, the Freedom Center is going to stand by and, and provide whatever assistance they need from us here on the ground in Missouri. But we are hopeful that this will be the first major test of uh, Missouri's eminent domain reforms after Kelo versus New London. And hopefully it's going to result in greater protection for property rights throughout the state. Well, we can only hope. And and just what does the property look like? I mean, does it look terrible? Does it look blighted? Or have they, uh, you know, got a... Uh, a, a no, the, the properties are well-maintained. The property owners that are the plaintiffs here, um, their businesses have picked back up. They were they were hurt during the pandemic, of course. And this, this may be one of the sticking points is during the pandemic when so many businesses were basically forced to close or to severely alter their operations... Um, you know, there was a significant downturn in their revenues and things like that. Um, but business has been picking back up since the end of the pandemic. And so um, the argument that's being made here is that they're not blighted at all. In fact, the area itself does not appear to be blighted. It is on the rebound. And, um, you know, the, the question is going to be, do the courts take a hard look at the uh, blight designation and ask difficult questions of the government, or will the courts just rubber stamp the government's determination that it's blighted? The statute should mean that rubber stamps are no longer permitted, but this is where the rubber meets the road. And do we know what they want to put there again? Uh, it- Oh, it's it's the typical mixed use commercial development. I mean, that's that's um, been yeah. So I mean, well, the hot move ever for basically the last thirty years um, is whenever you have this move for commercial development, they want to you know do mixed use and uh, they have grand plans for how the area is supposed to turn out after they've gotten rid of the existing businesses. But one of the other things that we know, and, and we talk about this every year when we come to the anniversary of Kilo versus New London, is for all the grand designs in New London, Connecticut, the neighborhood they condemned is still an open field populated only by feral cats. 
And on that happy note, we're going to take a break. But, oh, I want to talk about this uh, Supreme Court January 6th deal. We'll do that next with Dave Roland, MoFreedom.org. This is the Gary Nolan Show. 1135, Dave Roland with us, MoFreedom.org. He uh, likes to sue the government to protect your freedom. We're going to chat with him in just a minute about the court weighing in on the scope of the law that was used in the January 6th prosecutions uh, for the January 6th, uh, you know, the the insurrection, the revolt, the overturning of the country. Well, maybe it wasn't that severe. But anyway, uh, but first let me get uh, Arnie on the line because he has... Do we? Yeah, there we go. Arnie, good morning. Good, good morning, Gary. Sorry I couldn't uh, use your website to send you a question for Dave. But I totally agree with Dave's analogy on eminent domain abuses and especially the uh, misuse of uh, state tax abatement laws. But under Chapter 610.020, recording of meetings to be allowed, um, there is a public water district number two of St. Charles and Warren counties, and they also own a East Central Missouri Water and Sewer Authority, and they're paying themselves a $1,500 salary plus $100 for an open meeting and $100, or I'm sorry, $200 for an open meeting, $200 for a closed meeting. And I have been attending these meetings, and now they passed a resolution banning me from video and audio taping the public sessions of the water board meetings. And every time I show up, they call the police, and they're trying to get me trespassed or banned from attending public meetings because I videotape the meetings and post them on YouTube. And so I wanted to get Dave's take back, especially with Chapter 610.020, which specifically allows uh, recording of all public meetings. So this is a great question, and Arnie, I hope that you will go to the Freedom Center website and submit a potential case request. Um, that can be found at mofreedom.org slash help. Um, and for anybody who's got a potential case, that's what we recommend that people do. But um, to address the, the substance of what you're talking about, um, there is some dispute about exactly what that provision of the Sunshine Law means. There are government entities that have argued as long as they have arranged for how um, the public meetings can be recorded, then they can prevent individuals from making their own recordings. Um, Do you know if the Water District has made its own arrangements to record those meetings? Yes, in the resolution, they say that the meetings are made available, and I've requested those meetings, and they sometimes can provide them to me, but other times they say the files are too large. Um, And they're also prohibiting me from taking still photographs. Okay, so uh, this is a really interesting case, and it's one that I'd love to look at in a little bit more detail, um, because it is a pretty hot area of the law. Um, But there was a case back a couple of years ago involving um, legislative hearings. And what they ended up saying is, is because the legislature had made its own arrangements to have the hearings recorded, um, then they were permitted to prevent individual citizens from recording the hearings themselves. Um, 
particularly where you got, I'm not sure that was a correct outcome, by the way. And I believe that was a court of appeals decision, not a Missouri Supreme Court decision. And so there may still be room to say that that was um, wrongly decided and needs to be overturned. But especially when the recordings are not being made available, for example, if they're saying that the files are too large to provide, then that's an even stronger argument for why citizens ought to be able to make their own recordings. And it may be an argument that whatever arrangements have been made uh, for the recording by the public governmental body, those arrangements are not reasonable if they will not result in really quick access for citizens to the recordings themselves. So, as I said, go to mofreedom.org slash help, and that's where you'll find the the questionnaire that we use to screen potential cases, okay? Okay, Okay, great. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, so now, if you take his case, how much money will he have to come up with for you to take his case? Not a penny. Not a penny? Well, how are you going to cover those costs? Well, we hope that people, when they hear about the work that we do, they'll appreciate it and they would like to chip in and help support our work. And they can do that by going to mofreedom.org slash donate. But when Jennifer and I started the Freedom Center, um, one of our motivations was we know how hard it can be, uh, both emotionally and financially, to take on the government. The government has taxpayers' revenue uh, of almost inexhaustible wellspring of resources to fight these cases. And um, quite frankly, they just cow a bunch of citizens into submission uh, because citizens don't feel like they've got the resources necessary to take on these kinds of fights. So we wanted to make sure that that financial concern was out of the equation, that if you had a legitimate case, an important cause to bring that would further liberty or government transparency, then you would be able to have someone you could go to to make sure that that case got fought and it got fought well. And so that's why we take the approach that we do uh, with our public interest cases. And uh, it's why we hope people will support the work that we do because um, we, we couldn't represent people if we if we didn't have support from uh from well-meaning liberty-loving people out there in the state of missouri true story a friend of mine and you will meet this person because they will be at the christmas dinner on saturday uh sent me a message asking for your website so impressed with what you've done uh that they want to donate and so um it's uh you know the work that you do that inspires people to help uh, well, so, that's always great to hear. Thanks so much. No, that's great. Uh, and we look forward to having you uh, at dinner. I was going to say we're going to have you for dinner, but I'd rather they make steak. <laughs> um, steak it, would be much better. Y- yes. Uh, the court is going to weigh in on the scope of law that was used in the January 6th prosecution. Uh, this could have a huge impact on what happens to Donald Trump uh, in uh, the prosecution in Washington. Tell me what the uh, what is the uh, fly in the ointment for the prosecution uh, that uh, the court is uh, being addressed for? Yeah, this is an extremely momentous case because it deals with the federal law that was passed after the whole Enron debacle um, back a couple of decades ago. And the law itself provides up to 20 years in prison for somebody who corruptly alters, destroys, mutilates, or conceals a record, document, or other object with the intent to undermine an official proceeding. So that's focused on the destruction or the hiding of evidence 
in one of these um, investigations, government investigations. But there is a second prong to this statute that then adds that it can also apply to anyone who otherwise obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding. And so the question is whether that second prong is supposed to have kind of independent force, uh, whether it applies broadly to anybody who uh, obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding, or is the scope of that second prong limited to the first prong, where it's focused very specifically on uh, trying to conceal evidence related to um, investigations. And so the reason why this matters is they're claiming that in these January 6th cases, the protesters were impeding an official congressional proceeding. Um, if this statute is interpreted broadly so that the second prong is not limited by the first, then I think it would apply to what happened on January 6th. There was an official, an official congressional proceeding underway. It was disrupted. That kind of was the point of the people going into the Capitol was to disrupt it. But if that second prong is interpreted narrowly, um, then all of a sudden the, this whole charge focused on impeding this congressional proceeding goes away for all of these defendants, including former President Trump. And so um, it will be really interesting to see how the Supreme Court resolves this question, but more importantly, when they resolve this question. Um, as you know, especially with really contentious issues, frequently they don't issue opinions until the end of June. Uh, sometimes early July. And next year, we've got a presidential election in November. And one of the primary questions in the presidential campaign is going to be, is Donald Trump going to be in prison or not? You know, will he be convicted on the various charges that have been leveled against him? And if the Supreme Court is not going to decide the question of whether these charges are even legitimate until late June, maybe early July, um, that could severely complicate matters for Republicans if they end up choosing Donald Trump as their nominee. Um, now, it may be that the court may expedite consideration of this particular issue. It may be that they try and get an opinion out pretty quickly so that we know one way or another, will these charges go forward against President Trump or will they not? Um, but they're under no obligation to do that. And so, you know, it may have introduced uh, significant uncertainty in this equation. Also, let me point out that the judge in this case has been moving with some haste to get the trial to take place. I, I believe the the trial on these charges is currently scheduled to begin. Uh, is it the day after Super Tuesday in the spring? It, it's roundabout then. It's right about the time when some of the most important presidential primaries are taking place that this trial is supposed to begin. Um, and And with this issue coming in front of the Supreme Court, there is – a significant possibility that the judge may end up staying the trial, continuing the trial, until we know whether those charges are uh, legitimately going to be an option or whether the Supreme Court is going to say, nope, 
this is not how this law is supposed to be applied, in which case there's no point in trying or there's no authority to put President Trump on trial, at least for those specific charges. It wouldn't end that case entirely, but it would kind of blow a hole right through the middle of it. You see what I'm saying? It'll be interesting to see. Uh, And I know you'll keep a surprise of that. I'm up against the clock and I have to take a break, but I am curious to find out about this deal with Tesla in California. So we'll come back to that with Dave Roland, MoFreedom.org on the Gary Nolan Show. It's the Zimmer Radio Network. 52 minutes after the hour and uh, Dave Roland is with us. Uh, the, uh, the lawyer that likes to sue to protect your freedom. Uh, and uh, bringing a case to the table here, what is going on with Tesla in California and false advertising? Uh, it's regulatory overreach, Gary. Um, so Tesla has for years kind of touted what they call autopilot or full self-driving capability in some of its cars. And the way they have described it is they say that equipping this uh, capability would allow the vehicle to conduct short and long distance trips with no action required by the person in the driver's seat. Um, It says basically you get in, you tell your car where you wanna go, and then it will do the driving for you. The, The government has now filed this action in the state of California, and this, this is, a, uh, I believe, an action by the California Department of Motor Vehicles. It's not an action by uh, the federal government. But they are saying that what Tesla has done is to mislead consumers into believing that the vehicles are autonomous. In other words, that the driver doesn't even have to pay attention. Um, and so they're saying that because drivers believed that they didn't have to pay attention, then people have been hurt and therefore Tesla should, uh, be stripped of their ability to make and sell vehicles in the state of California. Um, the thing is Tesla has specifically issued disclaimers saying, The currently enabled features require active driver supervision and do not make the vehicle autonomous. The state says, well, that's not clear enough. You know, by by labeling your feature autopilot, by labeling it self-driving capability, um, you are suggesting to people that they are fully autonomous and that you don't actually have to pay attention and therefore we get to punish you. I, I think this is absurd. Um, you know, I think that especially given the disclaimers that Tesla has put out there, it's clear that the driver is still required to pay attention. The software as designed should allow the vehicle to function without the driver intervening and doing something. But just like a pilot isn't allowed to just leave their plane on autopilot and leave the cockpit and let it just fly itself without any supervision, um, the driver has been informed that you've got to continue paying attention. It's possible Things may happen that require you to step in, even if that's not the normal um, course of action for this particular vehicle and, and when it's using these programs. So um, this is going to be a big fight. 
And Tesla has argued that they are protected by the First Amendment, that they can pitch their product as autonomous or full self-driving, even if it requires the drivers to pay attention while they're behind the wheel. Um, And I think that's correct, but they're in a California regulatory agency. They're then going to be going into California state courts, and who knows? what's going to end up happening um, with the way that these things get uh, applied in these California venues. Now, Tesla may end up asking to have this case removed to the federal courts. Frankly, I think that would probably be a wise move for them. Um, I think that they have a better chance of faring well in federal court than they do in California regulatory proceedings and California state courts. It'll be interesting to see, but I think they really, really are starting to hate Tesla. And I think mostly it's over uh, Twitter and X. Uh, It sounds like they're looking for something to go after. Well, yeah, and that's that's part of the problem that we're seeing is um, in states across the country, we're seeing a politicization of the legal process. And um, we see government entities attacking private entities or individuals that they perceive as being political opponents. I think that may be what's happening in California with Tesla. I'm pretty sure that's what's happening with governor, uh, rather with attorney general Bailey here in Missouri and media matters. Um, He announced earlier this week that he was going to be beginning a probe of media matters arguing that they have violated the Missouri Merchandising Practices Act um, because they criticized how uh, Elon Musk's Twitter uh, platform, or now it's called X, um, how it has handled some of its advertising. And honestly, Gary, I, I look at what the Attorney General has said about this, and I don't think it fits Missouri law at all. I am concerned that it represents the flip side of the California coin. Um, It is not so much trying to protect consumers as it is trying to punish those that are perceived as being political opponents. And that is a horrible, horrible way to use the power of the state, whether the person who's abusing that power is a Democrat or whether they're a Republican. We cannot have a society where politicians are trying to punish their political opponents by using these legal processes. Well, I concur. Uh, it has been going on for a long time. We, we watched them do this, uh, turn the, uh, uh, the Internal Revenue Service and other uh, branches oh, yeah. of the government into a weapon. Uh, it's just, it's a shame that both sides don't stop doing it. We're out of time. But if you've got a question uh, about a case or a concern or you'd like to help uh, MoFreedom.org, send them a check or, or send them a letter, uh, and hopefully you'll protect your freedom. Dave, thank you for being with us. I'll see you Saturday. Thank you, Gary. Looking forward to it. All right. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.